You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 694 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Ride IQ. While Reese is competing at finals, we recorded a segment with Jane Hannigan talking about the Carl Hester Symposium put on by the New England Dressage Association. After that, Ride IQ has provided us with a tip from Lauren Spicer. Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, Phil. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, we're we're sort of uh, cheating a little bit by recording <laughs> the the intro early because next week you've got uh, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna be at the finals, um, which uh, you know, it's actually 10 minutes from my house, which actually it's it's interesting when you show in your hometown, uh, because I also, you know, I have a full barn and stable and business here and a husband and a dog and cats. So um it's always a little bit challenging for me. And uh sometimes I need a few things off my normal everyday plate. So we decided we would record early. I may be able to pop on the show, maybe not. We're not sure yet, but we wanted to get the main thing going because um as I don't know if I've shared, but I during competition, I really try to focus just on competition and and what I need to do. And I really try to act like I'm out of town. Uh so all my barn stuff. Uh, my wonderful manager, Jet, she, shout out to her. Uh, she takes the brunt of of the work here. And, uh, you know, I, I will come and, and I for sure ride a couple um, like I, because I, I can, but uh, I basically come in, I take care of, of what I need to do here, but then I go back to the competition so I can, uh, I've got some other riders competing as well. So it's going to be a busy week, but um, I just love it when everyone comes to Lexington. Uh, it's like my friends come to see me right before we go to Florida. And I think it's so fun. It's like a November present before the holidays. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward. Big Mike, uh, last year I was really, it was one of those, uh, I had a great regional ride and I was super proud of him, but the best I won test I had done. So I, I went to finals kind of very happy to be there. You know what I mean? Phil? like I was, but he was really green. He had done like two I ones. I had just said, Oh, come on, I'll, I'll try it. He can do it. Uh, and he went in the big all tech stadium and poor guy, I just could feel him. He just was like a turtle. He was like, mom, can you carry me? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're in this, they're in this huge stadium and I could feel him. He was just, didn't know what to do. So we're, you know, we're uh, a year older. Uh, I specifically took him to St. Louis where there was an indoor stadium because he had never really competed inside. Uh, and then, you know, you take him in the all tech um, so I, I feel like I I've prepped him really well. My coach was just here, Scott. I've done some virtual lessons with him. Uh, my sister, who's my eyes on my ground, uh, she's been here. So, uh, I feel really good about it. So I hope to report in a few weeks how great he was, but, uh, it is truly an honor to be able to ride, you know, at, at the U S finals. And, and I don't take it for granted, even if I live really close and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So I'll have lots to talk about after next week, but we've got a great show uh, that we've recorded a little bit early, but we think you're going to really enjoy it. And we're going to come back with a segment from Jane Hannigan talking about the Carl Hester Symposium. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Did you know that easy keepers and horses on restricted diets are often at risk for vitamin and mineral deficiencies? Most easy keepers are maintained on hay, and some get a few handfuls of grain a day, and most of these horses get little to no green grass. Diets that don't include significant levels of green grass or recommended amounts of fortified concentrates just don't supply enough vitamins and minerals. Many horse folks don't realize that hay alone, even high quality green hay, is not an adequate source of many vitamins. 
For example, when grass is cut and dried for hay, the vitamins quickly lose their potency. 70% of the vitamin E found in grass is lost in the first week after it is cut for hay. One way to ensure that your special needs horse is getting all the vitamins and minerals he needs is to add a vitamin and mineral supplement to his diet. A well-balanced supplement will provide the nutrients your horse requires without adding unwanted calories, starches, and sugars. Microphase, made by Kentucky Performance Products, is a vitamin and trace mineral supplement that bridges the gap in your feeding program. With Microphase, your horse receives adequate and balanced vitamin and mineral nutrition without unwanted calories or other ingredients. The minerals in Microphase have been chelated, a process that protects minerals during digestion and increases their absorption in the intestine. Microphase provides vitamins, such as vitamin E, in a natural form so your horse receives optimal results from this supplement. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight we are so happy to have Jane Hannigan on the line. She's an FEI rider, trainer, competitor, and uh, she went to the Carl Hester Clinic and took the best notes. So you know I was going to grab you, Jane. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here. We're thrilled to have you. And uh, they were so great and and truly um, I, I loved your notes. They're coming from a trainer's perspective, but also you know, just, it's so nice to be able to sit down for any continuing education event, but to get your notes was fantastic. So tell us a little bit about, um, the clinic in general, and then we'll start with some of your highlights. Well, uh, the clinic was uh, pretty fantastic. I've seen Carl. This is the third time I saw him first in California and then the Nita clinic that they did in, I think it was 2017. And, um, California and that were in 2017. So of course I didn't want to miss this because he's got just these little ways of saying things in this cheeky British accent that are just fantastic. You know, it's, it's absolutely spot on and it cleans up your riding in a way that I think he's, uh, because of all those canter walk transitions, if anyone was there and they watched, they were like 10,000 canter walk transitions until it was right. It was incredible. So he's, fun and cheeky and the horses were great and the atmosphere of the weather was perfect. So can't say enough. Nita, thank you for doing these things. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I've seen Carl up here up way up North as well. And, and just um, the way that he uh, brings such great information and really uh, exposes the riders to a level of looking for perfection without it getting right. monotonous and boring. I think that's that's where you've got to, you know, get in there and say, yes, you've got to do another transition, but here's a quick little right. quip. Uh-huh. And then and then off you go and and trying to do it again so that uh, that it's a relaxed way of, of getting that perfection rather than kind of drilling like, no, you've got to do it again. You you've got right. to you've got to find a relaxed way to deliver the message that no, that's not perfect, but but that's okay. That continue and do again until the horse yeah. gets the idea. Now yeah. in uh, California, he told one of the riders that she was sitting there like a Christmas fairy in a tree doing nothing <laughs> while the horse was just doing these terrible transitions and yeah. everyone laughed. But then because he said it in such a charming way, being a Christmas fairy in a tree that she actually started to participate and do the timing that was required to get the downward uh, canter to the walk. Because right. it was really very technical about the timing and and the feeling that you're looking for, instead of just like you said, not just monotony of do it again, do it again, do it again. He was very specific in his instructions, which was super helpful. Because then anyone can go home and repeat the exercises. You know, it was on the everybody had to be reprimanded about not cantering to the walk when the head came down. He wanted it as the head came up. You asked for the walk and you gave on the reins. So that the horse would then go into a soft outline, not be slammed onto the forehand or just fall in a heap. So, you know, it was just, it was really uh, fantastic the way he did it. Yeah. And I think he's got to, like, uh, as a clinician coming in, you've got to be able to correct and direct the riders. But because there's so many uh, spectators, you can't embarrass people or make them 
you know, feel lesser than and and you but know don't you think don't you think his sense of humor he can say things that would normally embarrass people but it doesn't you know he said to one person that they were um carrying their reins like they were holding a handbag instead of you know hitchhiking like thumbs on top so it was just you know and most people are like oh can you believe he said that but the way he delivers it is so charming and entertaining that they change their hand position immediately. So I wish I, in my teaching, could be charming and entertaining and British and have all these quips. But so that's why I feel this <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's part of it is is just the the <laughs> the accent. You can get away with a lot, you know. Um. Oh my God, he's so cheeky. It's fantastic. <laughs> but and you know, just the analogies and the delivery is just quite entertaining. Oh my God, he told one girl that she looked like a begging dog. Like really. <laughs> You know, the hand oh, position man, again. That, that's pretty you, insulting, ouch, actually. Ouch. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's like, insulting, oh. but everybody giggled and she changed her hand position. It was it was pretty fantastic. That's so awesome. That was, I think, in the, you know, with the young horses. A lot of the horses, it was really interesting. A lot of them were behind the bit, not above the bit. So we didn't really see horses that needed to be brought back down and round. We saw... The majority of the horses needed to be brought back up to the bridle because most of the people ride. How did he say it nicely? He said they ride by feel, not by the outline. And so you need mirrors or somebody checking in on the ground because everyone was kind of riding on the curb behind the bit. So interesting. Right. There's a lot that about contact. And yeah, really, really interesting. You saw, you know, two days, a lot of horses and. None of them. I think maybe the one chestnut mare, seven-year-old, needed to put, be put a little rounder in the canner collection. And uh, I can't really recall any other horse that needed to be changed. So he started with, he had some four, a four and a six-year-old, right? So he started with some youngsters. Kind of what was the highlight right. from that group? You know, from them, to me, the highlight was the first thing that he did with the, both horses was having them do small uh, trot steps, like two, three strides of small trot and then trot out again and repeating this until the horse is on the hind legs and the horse's hind legs aren't pushing out. Because what happens is he repeats this exercise throughout every single level. And then eventually with the Priest and George horses, you got to watch Passage developing out of the same exercise that he did with the four-year-old and the six-year-old in the first session. So it was it was really you know, very nicely linked together. And he also highlighted the fact that, yes, we're working on straightness with the four and the six-year-old, but that straightness is something that you come to and work on every day forever. And he said, yes, I'm sorry, it's forever. And everybody <laughs> laughed, but it's true, it's forever. True. And I think that a lot of adult amateurs feel that once a horse is trained to Grand Prix, that they must be straight. And yes, they're much straighter than... A normal horse, but you and I both know doing Grand Prix, yeah. the level of straightness you need is now, we're talking millimeters, but they still have to get even straighter in self-carriage, more through all that. But, it, you know, it was, it was great. And I think yeah. one of the other things he said was that uh, going for an empty hand, you know, suppled off the bridle is uh, not what you're looking for. It's give and retake the reins and, you know, teaching the canter to part instantly then that you could give on the inside rein so that eventually in your changes you could give on the rein as well so i think those were pretty cool things from that first session you know and that winning the young horse classes obviously isn't what it's all about it's developing a horse to be a grand prix horse so yeah. it's not about developing those auction horse gates it's about developing you know elastic horses that can shorten and normal trot or lengthen even, you know, so it was, it was just great how the first session linked right onto the Grand Prix for me. Yeah. I don't know if everybody else felt that, but I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> I've only seen Carl teach once, but he is, is such a trainer. Like that's what I found really interesting um, with him mm. was how he, he is a trainer and he has this very specific kind of uh, system in mind which I think was really yeah. cool. Like you said, at a four-year-old, he's looking at what he's going to need when the horse is, you know, um, whatever age and doing the Grand Prix, right? So he's already right. sort of installing that, which I think is yeah. fascinating. 
because that's his goal. He and, and a lot of people have other goals, and that's totally fine. But his goal is a Grand Prix horse. Hard stop. Well, he so, said, you know, Vallegro, he said Vallegro won everything. And he said that's an exceptional young horse. So when you have an exceptional young horse, of course, do the young horse classes. That's totally fine and wonderful and great to win those prizes. But like you said, it's a system of transitions that then gets you to the Grand Prix instead of just to training level or first level or, you know, it wasn't like the four-year-old set was just to do training level and first level. It was like to do the Grand Prix. It was, it was awesome. He, like awesome. you said, he's a trainer. Yeah. You know? and, and so then he moved on to a third level and a junior, which is, is also kind of equivalent to third level slash fourth level. Yes. So what was that group like? The junior horse is giant. I I don't think that anybody that reads the notes will even understand this horse is giant and very uphill. The girl has a beautiful seat and she's a beautiful rider, but he had to work on the canter to the walk transition because in the junior test, you still have to do a simple change. So the, the junior test, you have flying changes, you have single flying changes, and you have a canter walk. And you have to stretch in the trot, in the sitting of all craziness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they have to, it's not give and retake the reins, you know, like, you know, Uber strike. And it's, you have to basically stretch the horse, like in the young horse classes. So they're making sure that the juniors don't skip steps. And what he was saying is that she needs to get better at the canter walk where the horse is lighter because she was doing it on the contact and she needs to do it. So the horse is more in self-carriage and balanced. And the second day, huge improvement. The the young lady did a lovely job and, you know, has a beautiful seat and a really good understanding. But I think she's 16 years old. So, you know, not an older junior. She's a younger junior. And that was pretty fantastic that he really just took the basics apart. And pretty much neither of them did the changes. And, you know, he worked pretty much on the forward and back in the canter the same way he did with young horses in the trot. So it's like two, three strides back and then out again. So he did the same exercise in the canter with the third level horses to prepare to get to the flying changes eventually. Because if you can't, well, you know, and I know, everybody knows, if you can't change the canter, you can't really do flying changes because you have to be able to collect and go forward. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome that he basically spent uh, most of that session getting their basics better so that then the next day they could carry on with, you know, more things. And he brought up the fact that in his teaching with, um, he calls him Dr. B, Dr. Bettelsheimer, is that he would only say, okay, go on. Okay, bring the horse back. Okay, go on. So they would just be constantly on and back and on and back. And Carl stopped perfectly halted square because he wasn't allowed to ask a question unless everything was square. Hmm. And um, yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Does anyone ever do that to their students? No. No. (laughs) We should. We should. Right. We We need to adopt Carl's thing. So he's like, every halt has to be square. And Dr. B was really on about it. But if you need to ask a question, you have to be able to halt square to ask a question. And so he asked him, is there anything other than on and back? And, and Dr. B said, no, it's all on and back. That's all the, everything is. And it, it's true. Yeah. You know, of course you do flying changes and this and that, but if you can't have a horse that shortens and lengthens and, you know, listens quickly. And that was, you know, he really hit home with that. Like the Canada part, he wants to make sure people only do with one, one ask, not three. It's not one, two, three for a Canada part. Cause then they go into haunches in. It's one and then and one and done pretty much so that you can do the changes later, you know, prepare with the inside leg, ask with the outside, you're done. So and that, and that was pretty cool. That makes sense too, because especially with the junior test and the young riders, but specifically the juniors, the changes are in mm-hmm. weird places. Aren't they? They're in, oh my goodness. Yeah. They're in weird places. Cause in, in, you know, when I happened to be there and I talked to a judge at young riders, they were saying, you know, they did that specifically so that even if you had a trained horse, right. There were, there were places that trained horses wouldn't know where the changes were, or, you know, you had to right. ask the horse. It wasn't like, no, right. it's exactly like the pre-St. George. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> you have to ask. Right. And, and a lot of kids got in trouble with that. 
So I think that just seeing that and hearing why he did that was really, really specific and strategic of teaching those kiddos how to, how to ride that. Um, if anybody wants a challenge, go through that junior test because it is actually, oh my God, right. I Mm -hmm. think the adults should have to ride like an adult version of the junior test because it is Mm -hmm. true. They're, they're hard and you're right. That makes a lot of sense that it's, it's to check the training, not the tricks and the pattern. Right. I mean, they still have that canter simple change on the center line to check straightness. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not a wonky line and Mm -hmm. the kids really have to do it. And you know, the other thing he was on about is that people need to learn how to put down the whip because when those juniors qualify, juniors and young riders, they qualify with a whip. And then he said, you never have seen more slow dressage than you do with CDIs with the juniors and young riders. <laughs> because they, never, they never put the whip down when they train. So you have to put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up. Don't just train with it all the time because the horse has to get on the leg, not the whip. So he's very clever about that. But I think it's because like you said, he's a trainer. He knows where he's going with this. And, uh, it's pretty cool. Like the young lady also, they worked on doing halts that were square. And so it was a few of the trot steps that they did with the young horses, you know, two to three active, smaller trot strides, but he wants them active and then two active walk steps and halt square. But we're not talking you know, blobbing into the halt. We're talking active. Everything's active. So if you don't do it when they're young, you can't do it when you're in third level. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Really pretty cool. Yeah. So how are the seven-year-olds in the developing pre-St. George? I think that day one, um, Olivia, she won the developing St. George and that horse unfortunately pulled his shoe. So we didn't get to see oh. him, Johnny. You go under, I think that's his name. Yeah, anyway, so they they sub they had to move things around, and so they put um, Shannon on Angelique with Lauren Samus, and I can't remember Lauren's horse's name. So that was that was really interesting because they talked a lot. I think we actually skipped over the seven year olds. Yeah. So the seven year olds were the next ones, and he said the coolest thing to one of them. Um, that was different horses. That wasn't Lauren. And that was Jordan LaPlaca. And then the, uh, I can't remember the young lady's name. She rides for most Swanson, but really cool horses. But he said that basically with the shoulder ends, they were doing too much of an angle in the shoulder ends. And he said, I know everybody says you can train on a four track, but if you train on a four track shoulder in, you take them away from the outside rein. If you train on a three track, you get them into the outside rein. And I think it's just a very simple way of saying it is that if you go for tons of angle, because I've always been told it's more like leg yielding if you go for too much angle, but the way he said it is, it takes them away from the outside ring or off. He literally said it takes them off of it. And it, you could see when they got the right angle, that wasn't just pushing the haunches out because he did it on the quarter line a lot. This was hard. And, um, it was it was great to watch the shoulder in just develop the trot and get the horse more connected instead of you know disassembling and just leg yielding. D- disconnected, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of, one of my mm-hmm. pet peeves is watching someone do a shoulder in that that has zero bend and is just really a rider kicking the horse away from the end. You know, like it's it's just a leg yield that doesn't right. do anything. You know, doesn't do anything for achieving you know, the stronger hind leg that, you know, that the exercise is meant to develop and, and the bend so that you Absolutely. can ride, uh, you know, Priest and George has, a, you know, a shoulder in a small circle. Those should all connect together into a half pass. They should all connect yeah. together. Right. And, and a lot of time you see that movement ridden horses going sideways in the shoulder and then the horse is going sideways right. around the circle. And then the horses. That's exactly what happened to the young rider, the junior with the gigantic yeah. horse is that uh, her trot was too big and he was discussing swing speed, which is just the speed that your horse should go at. Not, not too slow, not too fast, not too long, not too short. It's like this finding the right elasticity. And that horse went from a shoulder in and he said, you know, it was just going too big around the ring. And he said, fine, do an eight meter circle. And the haunches just swung out like you just said. So he had them bring the trot back into a, you know, more organized. And he said, see, if you ride the shoulder in wrong, 
you ride the circle wrong. And then if you're riding the circle wrong, then the haunches are going wrong for the half path. So exactly what you just said. So see your Carl Hester. Yeah, Bill, look at you. Well, you know, like it's just, you know, this year I've spent, I've had three horses at Pre St. George, so I've ridden that test a lot. And it's It's just training, right? Yeah, I think it's just the way the way that you have to uh, think about uh, the way the tests are designed, and you know, all of the thought that went into that, the the design of that test, and all the mistakes that can. And uh, like, I'm I'm not saying I'm perfect, but but I, you know, I after riding lots of those tests, it's sort of like, oh, I, I, I can't do that, right? Because then then this happens and then yeah. and then I get this um, bad score. And, and that and that half pass is a is a double coefficient. So you don't right. need to be fishtailing in, into it because you need the scores, right? So but yeah, the fishtailing been there, is been there done that. Yeah. In. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 36 St. George, you finally change it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Figure out how to write like, it or like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't do that anymore, right? No, it's true. Yeah. It's pretty mm-hmm. funny. I know, Reese, we've been riding the St. George for how long now? Oh, my God, right? We don't it's talk so about funny. it. But yeah, it, it's, true. It. it's true. It's true. It, I mean, but it's it's everywhere, too, right? It's it, it, You see it. I, in I, the Grand Prix. Yeah. You see it in the Grand Prix. Well, I, I've right. done it myself, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... No, it's, but it's, you know what? It, it doesn't matter, but we know... If you train a shoulder in correctly and you don't bring them into the four track thing and then, you know, leg yield their hindquarters out, then you can get to the circle. You can get to the half pass, just like the Grand Prix. If you can't bend, you're not going to be able to do that half pass. I'm sorry, but it's just not going right. to happen. No, so, it's not. <laughs> and then you're going to. It turns into a leg yielding and yeah, it just turns into an ugly ugh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think with the seven-year-olds, he also had one of the people do posting trot in the half pass, uh, talking about half pass, to help with the timing of the aids and to get the horse to stay in. It was dropping from this, you know, amazing trot into a flatter trot into the half pass. So he took it onto a, like a diagonal line, did less angle with the hindquarters than required for the half pass, but a little bit of haunches in feeling had her go in posting trot and work on the horse staying in the correct swing instead of just pushing more haunches to get the perfect thing. Cause the horse said it was seven. It needed to gain strength to have that. I mean, it, it's trot was gigantic. It was, you know, this chestnut mare and she really had a huge trot and to the left. She didn't have a problem keeping up with it, but to the right, she would drop into the other trot. So that was a clever exercise as well diagonal posting trot, less angle and a haunches in and uh, just work on the inside leg aid, keeping the horse from falling, you know, down on the inside shoulder. So that was pretty cool. That is super. And yeah, and he, he did, I think with one of the horses he did counter canter to work on the straightness in the collection because the horse was fishtailing in the collected mm-hmm. canter haunches were kind of going in a lot and he does a lot of circle work with the collection as well um to work on the pirouettes but then we'll use counter canner on the rail to do the collection so that the horse will stay straight which is great that's awesome great he also said something interesting about instead of we all look for the inside eye he said if you look down the inside rein for the nose then you can tell if you've got the bend for the shoulder in and for the half path and it really Ah. applied a lot yeah, look down the inside rein to the nose. How interesting is that? So uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'm feeling that. Totally taking that one. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. It worked really well. Oh, I'm so going to have to practice actually, that tomorrow. Yeah. I'm I like, oh. Today. Yeah. Is that awesome? Look down <laughs> the inside rein for the nose. Means. So it's just mm-hmm. a different way of saying it, but it's because one of the horse's heads was tipping. And, yeah. you know, so to get proper bend, you don't want to just crank the head over and have the pole flop in and the nose flop out, that's not bend. So it was just a really clever, great way of talking about it. And, that's awesome. Uh, see, I can just keep talking forever. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. Keep I love going. it. So, there was a there 21-year-old. There was like a young rider, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Liz Austin's girl that's been working for her. That was pretty unbelievable. 
because this horse is the, the biggest, most powerful canter. You, well, and you have to bring up Shannon with Angelique. That is incredible. But we can talk about that later because uh, the Sunday version. So Shannon rode with Lauren and those exercises were pretty fantastic as well. But, you know, a lot of the problems that uh, Lauren's horse was having is that it was not able to do the canter on the spot to the walk. It was falling into the trot. Mm. And they worked at really getting the horse to the point where it would carry. And then the next day it was pretty fantastic because she was, the way I said it in the notes is that she was shaped like a croissant the first day. That's not his word. That's me just joking around, but (laughs) she was, you know, C-shaped to the right and her butt was coming in and then her head was coming in because he wanted to make sure that she was bending to the right, not always bending to the left. Mm-hmm. And then she was shaped like a croissant. Her ass wouldn't stop coming in. Her hind legs were getting wider. She's getting upset. But then the next day, oh, my God, shoulder four, it was magical. The horse collected. It was really nice because they wanted to work on the pirouettes. But he said, you know, until your horse can really carry on the hind leg in the collection, there's no point in trying to do the pirouette because then they just step wide. And especially mares, they'll step wide. So that was that was really fun to watch the transformation with that horse over the two days. And her trot work was already doing all the Grand Prix work. You know, it could passage and she looked really strong in the trot work, but in the canter work, she needed some work on the right lead canter, but the left was, was good. So it was that, yeah. you know, I think that a lot of people think that canters are always going to be perfect and then they're going to call the vet and inject them until they're perfect, but it's honestly, it's training. So in the two days, you really watched his, you know, way of training come through this horse. And Lauren, she's a really good rider. So it was easy for him to do. But, well, you know, it was work for everybody. But it was a really nice transformation to see. So then with That's Shannon's good. horse, she, yeah. Shannon has a seven-year-old mare that won. the. I know she won the Priest and George, the small tour at Devon. And as a seven-year-old, the reason she can do this is because she has like a neat and tidy gait. So they're not like outrageous gait. And she's really balanced and really well-trained. But Shannon rides with Carl, rode with Carl, does a lot of the same things that he does. And so her system is Shannon Oldenstewart is a very, it's a really fantastic. So, you know, he was just watching her go and just talking about how, you know, lovely it is and wait until you guys see this horse trot after she does the canter work because the their her trot work was just very small and neat and tidy and but you wouldn't have bought this horse. It was just it was unbelievable to watch her trot grow into the second trot and then she can already passage and it was it was just really cool. So everyone needs to ride with Shannon and 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 they're lovely yeah shannon's lovely as well absolutely lovely and in the olympics and pan am games and you know a team rider for sure so to watch that and i think that's a that's a window right into watching that whole system and why it works for those two and and that is so cool and and then there was a cool I've, i've never seen her ride one that she's had from a fall before Mm-hmm. You know, and most of us don't get them as a baby. And she got this one as a baby and then she rode the mother. So Carl and she both knew the mother and then they, you know, brought her through all of this. You know, they did one tempies and this, this horse is seven and she's balanced and she can handle it. And it's not difficult and it's easy and it's fun. And it was really, really cool to watch. You know, she just did a really amazing job and the horse looked really happy and like it just wasn't hard, you know, I mean, yeah. it wasn't like she had auction gates and it wasn't, uh, you know, the second trot was going to win the young horse classes, but the, the warm up trot was a normal, you know, it was a normal horse's trot. So I think that's something that I hope the adult amateurs watching the clinic got inspired about, because for me, that was, it was really neat to see. You don't need to buy auction trots and auction canners. You need neat and tidy, you know, horses balance. that can train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bal- exactly. Balance. A good confirmation leads to, leads to good balance, which leads to eventually the Grand Prix, which, I mean, that's it's a lot of years invested, but, um, yes. you know. The- well, I mean, 
It is a lot of years, but it's, uh, well, we're all dressage nerds. We understand. We just, yeah. it's so cool. <laughs> Isn't it just it's so, so fun. cool? Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, so fun. To me, seven, you know, seven, that's a long time to invest time in a horse, but it's like, oh, seven, whatever. That's fine. It's, it's yeah. So young. <laughs> so young. And then there was a Grand Prix horse, right? So they, they, he did go through the Grand Prix. Yeah. So then they had the 21 year old girl, uh, with the very, the coolest horse with the coolest hind leg. He looked like the Negro. He was a Negro. And that was super fun to watch because you can always make it better. And, you know, he said, basically like this girl has learned how to do dressage on this horse and then she'll be able to take the feeling to another horse he said that after his first i don't remember if it was world cup or world games he said that um one person said oh yes now you've gone to the you know whatever the thing was and so you've learned how to steer on a school master type horse and now you have to learn how to train a horse so it was just super entertaining the way he said it but the the girl that was riding you can see that her body now knows how to do these things from riding this unbelievably cool horse. It's not easy, but oh my God, the hind leg and the canter, it was a 10 canter. It was really, really, really fun to watch. So I think that I'm hoping she got a lot out of it. You know, in the one tempies, because his canter is so big, she was struggling. So they went back to the exercise where you just do a one, one, and then a space and a one, one in space and a one, one in space. And then eventually she got all the ones because they started working. So they do it on the long side. He calls it a flick flack, the one, one, and you do it both directions and then you go and approach the ones again. And then they worked really well, but she was, I believe the way you said it is that she was behind the ask for the change or she wasn't releasing the horse to the change. And she was behind the horse and the horse needed to be with her instead of her trying to be with the horse. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, so I mean, I've, I've seen was, that situation. You, I've experienced that situation. Yeah, so. <laughs> I've been <Yeah>. there. <laughs> right. We're throwing ourselves all over the place because the horse isn't actually listening to the aid. And he yeah. really wants to change aid off of your heel instead of off of like a mush of your whole leg. So he wants it just like a sharp, quick. It's not sharp, but, you know, off of your heel. So yeah, that the, the, the change listens. is sharp, not, not the aid. That, yeah, that's exactly. The, so that the horse responds sharply. Thank you. The horse responds quickly to the aid and doesn't have like a mush leg that lasts for three strides. So she was getting behind the aid for the one tempies and she was trying to stay up to the horse. And so the horse, you know, keeping up with her ask. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just really interesting watching the schoolmaster version of all of that. And then the Grand Prix horse was um, Mika and she, oh my God, what a horse. Piaf Passage, unbelievable. But she got the lesson, which he's done at every one of these clinics where he does the centerline canner collection. Instead of doing 1,000 pirouettes, you uh, do the collection in shoulder four up to where the pirouette is. And then you keep the shoulder four after the pirouette spot. And then you change to the new shoulder in. You do the flying change. And then you repeat the exercise the other way for the other pirouette. Because in the Grand Prix, we've got the two pirouettes on the center line. And, yeah. you know, I remember doing this exercise with Robert a thousand years mm -hmm. ago with my horse. And it was, you know, how many center lines? It's, I don't know, 56 center lines later. Maybe I learned how to do it. But <laughs> that's a joke. But so she got <laughs> to do it over and over and over. And it was nice to see that he was like, okay, we're going to do some schooling pirouettes away from the center line. Then we're going to do the the shoulder in exercise on the center line with the canner on the spot, then the flying change, then the shoulder in with the canner on the spot, not the pirouette, pirouette, pirouette. And then she was pirouetting on one side of the center line because she was making it big and then small and she needed to make it small and then big. So start the pirouette small and then make it bigger. So it's two sides of the center line. And again, you know, Robert Dover, this is the same lesson I've had and everybody that does the Grand Prix learns this lesson, but it was, it was fun to watch it again, just from the sitting there, not doing it and uh, watching her horse get better and better. And then actually pirouette around the center line. So that was, that was super fun. And then the half passes, I think that she was going faster in one of them and had to slow down. I think the right half pass, 
the horse was again falling a little down on the right shoulder. And so he brought her into a little bit more of like a second trot, almost to the passage to get the horse up off the inside shoulder to half pass. And I don't think many people talk about the inside front in the half pass where we know in the Grand Prix, it's such a big reach that you really have to have a really good inside front leg to do it. And the horse was more focused on crossing the outside front than lifting the inside. And so that was, that was really fun to watch her, you know, learn that as well. And her, her Piaf Passage is awesome. That horse is really good, but he had some very good advice for her where it was active. Her legs had to stay active on the way into the Piaf. And then she had to think of riding, like thinking out of it and riding patiently out of it instead of push, push, pushing the horse out of it. Because a lot of people, they push, 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 push in the Piaf and then they push even harder to get to the Passage. And he said, you have to actually settle down and wait for the passage to happen, which was, it was cool to watch that happen. Yeah. That's really great. cool. Yeah. I love and it. Any it sounds, like, it sounds like an awesome experience overall. You got, you got a lot right? of things to watch and you got a lot out of it. And, and now you're helping us to inspire. Be right. Look to, down the, yeah. To look down the inside rein at the nose for bed. At the nose at the shoulder. The, and for the shoulder in and the half pass, instead of just looking at the eye, because the eye doesn't tell you if the nose is tipping. Fantastic. Like, yeah, hello. you're like, I got it. I got it. Right? Well, Jane, like, this was awesome. So uh, you've yeah. got actually on your Facebook page, you have all the notes written down. So can you tell exactly. people how they can find you online? Well, it's just Jane Hannigan Facebook. It's open. Like it's not a private. Um, so anybody can just look me up on Facebook and then access the notes. They're right there. I'm on the Instagram too, which I think is Jane Hannigan, you know, at Jane Hannigan, 1970, something crazy like that. Cause I was born in 1970. I'm 52. <laughs> Yay! I'm the same age it. as Carl Hester. It's awesome. I but, um, it. you know, really great clinic and uh, really nice to watch him. Like the, the summary of the whole basic clinic is that what you do with a four-year-old is the same thing you do with a Grand Prix horse because to do Piaf, you have to be able to close the trot and quicken it to Piaf. And then with the young horse, it's the same thing to get the hind legs to first learn how to come underneath. You have to shorten the trot because you can't just trot around for six hours and think anything's going to change. So he said with him and Charlotte, if he's doing a talk and Charlotte's on a horse, she'll have done like 30 to 40 transitions or moving the horse around within like the first, you know, four to five minutes. And most people in their rides, it takes them one whole time around to do one transition. So he said, bear that in mind that we're looking for a high level. And with the young horse, they can't do 400,000 transitions, but the higher the level gets, yes, they they need to do it's it's all transition work it's pretty cool it all links the chain together and canter walk will eventually get you better changes and canter shortening will eventually get you better changes and better pirouettes and you know if you do the homework so everybody talks about the basics and no one really talks about what the basics are they just talk about doing them Mm -hmm. carl shows you what the basics are which is great that's so cool I love yeah. that. Thank you yeah. so much. This was so fun. Thanks, Reese. Appreciate it. The Horsemanship Radio Podcast is dedicated to the advancement of great horsemanship throughout the world. Monty Roberts often stops by to present on this podcast, hosted by his daughter and legacy strategist, Debbie Roberts Lauks. The show includes segments, tips, and interviews exploring effective training centered on the well being of the horse. This multiple award-winning podcast has 1.6 million downloads to date. Horsemanshipradio.com, sponsored by Hands-On Gloves and Monty Roberts University. As a listener of the show, you might have heard us talk about Ride IQ. Ride IQ is a new concept for equestrian, and it presents a really cool opportunity. The opportunity for you to take a lesson with a top coach anytime you'd like. Here's how it works. Ride IQ is a mobile app for iPhone and Android with hundreds of on-demand listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top coaches across dressage, eventing, 
even the natural horsemanship and sports psychology. In fact, I'm one of the coaches you can take lessons with with Ride IQ if you're not already tired of my voice. Whether you're looking to add structure to your rides, try new exercises, or build confidence, Ride IQ can help. With Ride IQ, you won't be waiting for your in-person lessons to make progress. You can make exceptionally productive rides on training days as well. Every membership automatically includes a two-week free trial. After that, membership is just $29.99 per month. Because you're a Dressage Radio Show listener, you'll get $15 off your first payment after the free trial. Just go to rideiq.com to sign up and use the code DRS to get your discount. That's rideiq.com and promo code DRS to start having the most productive schooling rides you've ever had. For today's trainer tip, I want to thank Ride IQ for providing us with this tip from Lauren Spreiser on equitation. And I wanted to take you all through my equitation checklist. What I'm thinking about with my position. Position is not just about how pretty you look in pictures. It is about functionality. And before I've gotten on, I've made sure that my girth is tight, but I've also made sure that my saddle is in the middle of the horse that it isn't off to the right or left before I even throw my foot in the stirrup. I'm particularly mindful of that as, like most riders, I mount from the left. And I use a mounting block, which is dramatically better for horses' backs than getting on from the ground. Even if you are a light, petite flower, use a mounting block, please. But it has a propensity to pull the saddles to the left, obviously, as I, as I set foot in the stirrup. And so... Step one, always make sure that I'm sitting in the middle, that my girth is tight. Some horses are puffers. They'll kind of bluch and, and hold their breath and then exhale it out as you get on or after you've been on for a couple minutes and your girth can be loose. So check that girth and make sure that when you do say you're sitting in the middle, most riders tend to sit to the left. Fun fact. Then I'm thinking about how I'm sitting. Uh, not to get too friendly with y'all, but I have two seat bones and a pubic bone. And for me... Uh, I think about 55% on my seat bones, 45% on my pubic bone. Maybe maybe those numbers change a little bit. Um, you can hear I've just changed from the grass to the driveway for a second while we wander around on our way to the ring. Um, I want the littlest bit more mass behind me than in front of me. Um, I am thinking about, however, not leaning back. I want there roughly, roughly, roughly to be a straight line from my ear to my shoulder to my hip to my heel. Um, women tend to put the leg out in front of them. Just a little bit is not a crime. A lot is a big crime. And sometimes people have their leg out in front of them because that's just how the shape of their pelvis corresponds to the shape of their horse, particularly for women who are more petite on horses that are a little chunkier. Sometimes it's really hard to roll your thigh flat against the horse when the horse has a bigger, a bigger caboose than you do. But some women and men, truly, uh, anybody, stick their feet out in front of them because they are braced against the stirrup. So there is my next thing that I check. Are my knees bent? Am I, am I, placing my feet lightly into my stirrup irons or am I mashing them down like an ex-boyfriend's face is underneath my foot tempting as it is to smush that ex-boyfriend's face don't do it keep a little bit of weight in your stirrups just enough to keep them but not so much that you are clinging to them for dear life and I think about squeezing a grapefruit behind my knee that encourages the bend in the knee, but it, more importantly, it encourages the activity of the hamstring. I think that people are surprised to find that for me, the hamstring and the quadricep are part of the seat. Everyone thinks seat means butt. And slightly more educated people think that seat means belly, back, and butt. Seat means belly, back, butt, and hamstrings, and quadriceps. And my hamstring is always a little bit activated. There is always energy flowing through it. My elbows, my elbows move right now. I have one hand on the reins on the buckle like the good pony clubber I am. 
but if I had both hands on the reins, like a responsible adult, I'm thinking about keeping my elbows forward and back, forward and back, forward and back to match my horse's contact. Then, last but not least, I bet you're looking down. I bet you're doing it right now. I'm on to you. All the way from Loxahatchee, Florida, I see a looker downer. So, look up. And when you look up, don't think, I'm going to brace my shoulder back and down and arch my low back, because that's disengaging your abdomen. I think about keeping my low back flat against the back waistband of my breeches, against the belt that I'm wearing, not art. And yes, I do think about bringing my shoulder blades back and down, like I want to tuck my scapulae into my back pockets. And I think about lifting my chin, bringing my ears back behind my shoulders a little bit. You can't actually do that, but that's that's what I think about. Like I want to bring my ears back behind my shoulders and lift my gaze, not just by my eyeballs looking up, but by my chin, my nose looking up. But all of that cannot be at the expense of arching my low back. Well, as always, everybody, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. And don't forget our book club of the month or a quarter. It's the Horse Brain, Human Brain, The Neuroscience of Horsemanship by Janet Jones. Great book. We're really looking forward to it. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is through Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products and Ride IQ. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.